Well, good morning again. Uh, please turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, we're going to be reading for our scripture text, our sermon text this morning, Hebrews 12, 28 through 13, 7. 12, 28 through 13, 7. Before we read that together, let's pray one more time. Our Father, we do pray, speak, O oh Lord. Uh, we pray that you would speak to us through your word by the power of your spirit, uh, that you would speak to us, that you would glorify yourself in that, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money. And be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Everybody worships something. And we often talk about Sunday morning worship, and that's what we're doing right now. We have gathered together for Sunday morning worship. But what I want to talk uh, about today is, is Monday morning worship, right? You see, regardless of who you worship Sunday morning, everybody is worshiping somebody on Monday morning. Everybody gives their lives, their time, their talents, their energy, their money to something. Everybody serves someone. And that distinction between Sunday morning worship and Monday morning worship is a distinction between the, the formal worship of the church and the daily worship of the life lived for God. This morning, we're looking at the life of worship. And to understand that, we're going to look at five things about worship from our text. We'll see that the, the mind shift of worship, worship as gratitude through service, the motive of worship, an unshakable kingdom, the attitude of worship, reverence and awe, the content of worship, rightly ordered love, and the models of worship, faith-filled leaders. So first, the mind shift, uh, worship as gratitude through service. 
there is a, a large portion of the population that sees worship as irrelevant. It's an out-of-date idiosyncrasy of a bygone era. There's another portion that sees worship as, as extremely important, even central. Right? To gather together on Sunday morning is a, a high point of their week. But often that Sunday morning worship seems to have little impact come Monday. And what both of those views have in common is a misunderstanding of worship. You see, worship as an act, they, or they see worship as an act or a set of acts, a series of rituals to go through. Some see those rituals as important. Others see them as irrelevant, but both have a similar misconception of worship. In the New, in the New Testament, the, the word worship uh, it has a, a range of meanings. The English word worship is used to translate a number of different Greek and Hebrew words. But in the New Testament, often the word worship refers not to the worship service, but to worship in all of life. In fact, the passage that highlights this the most for us, I think, is Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which Brian read Earlier, Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And notice how Paul uses the, the Old Testament ceremonial language of sacrifice, but then he transforms it, right? We are a living sacrifice. And presenting our lives in that way is our spiritual worship. Paul then goes on in the next two chapters to explain what it means to offer our lives. We are to do the will of God and use our gifts to build up the body and love one another and leave vengeance in God's hands and submit to authorities and above all love, he says, avoiding sexual immorality and strife. Paul describes our spiritual service of worship as a life lived for God. Now we could show that same thing in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, where as a holy priesthood, we offer spiritual sacrifices, proclaiming God's excellencies by living lives before others that reflect God's excellencies to the world. The spiritual sacrifice that we offer as a holy priesthood in 1 Peter 2 is the same as the living sacrifice that we are, according to Romans 12, verse 1. You see, our worship does not consist in the bloody sacrifices of bulls and goats, but in the living sacrifice of a life lived for God. There is this change from the Old Testament to the New with the coming of Christ and his fulfillment of the Old Testament ceremonies. That our worship now does not consist in the bloody sacrifices of bulls and goats, but in the living sacrifice of a life lived for God. And this is what our text this morning also is talking about when our writer exhorts us to offer to God acceptable worship. And we see that that's what he's talking about. We can see that in a few steps. Uh, the first is notice that the main exhortation in uh, that, that first verse that we're looking at is let us be grateful. Gratitude is the heart of worship. We respond to what God has done in thanksgiving. Now, there were thank offerings in the old covenant as well. But the question is, what is the, what is the thank offering of the new covenant? 
Number two, out of that gratitude, we are to offer, the writer says, acceptable worship. Now, the word worship here can just as well be translated service as it is in the King James and the New American Standard Bible, and as it is elsewhere in the English Standard Version. We are to offer to God acceptable service. The question, of course, is what kind of service? Uh, the word service can refer to uh, religious or ceremonial service on the one hand, uh, but it can refer to more mundane service of a servant on the other. But, but even when it does refer to uh, religious and ceremonial service, even then, as we have seen, the religious and ceremonial service in the Old Testament has been transformed in the New. We offer not bloody sacrifices of bulls and goats, but the living sacrifices of a life lived for God. And so we have to keep looking, right? What does our service of gratitude look like? Well, that brings us to chapter 13, verse 1. Now, one of the problems with the, the chapter and verse divisions in our English Bibles is we tend to assume that a new chapter means a new topic. In fact, in our ESV, you'll notice there's even a, a heading separating uh, chapter 12 from chapter 13, although it's, it's a good heading, but it's still a heading. It's still a separation. So we tend to assume that a new chapter means a new topic, but that's not the case. Chapter 13, verse 1 is actually continuing the topic of worship. How are we to offer acceptable service to our God? How do we offer acceptable worship? Well, chapter 13, verse 1, by loving our brothers. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, now if you insist, oh, no, no, the, the writer's moved on, right? He's moved on to a new topic now in 13, verse 1. Well, just keep reading in chapter 13. You get to verses 15 through 16, and the writer says, Through Jesus, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. See, Hebrews chapter 13 is describing our sacrificial service, our acceptable worship. And notice uh, these three significant New Testament passages on worship, Romans chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter 2, and Hebrews chapter 12 into 13, are all dealing not specifically with Sunday morning worship, right, but more broadly with Monday morning worship, with worship in all of life, not with a, a formal service, but with the life lived to God. What is worship understood in this way? Worship is an expression of gratitude in the life of service. That's what worship is. This kind of worship the New Testament is talking about, it, it, it is an expression of gratitude in the life of service. Now, that, that of course, that doesn't mean that what we call the worship service is irrelevant, right? Or we wouldn't be here. But, but the English word worship actually, I think, does us a disservice. Uh, many often answer the question, what is worship, meaning what is the worship service, like this. They say, well, the, the word worship comes from the Old English worth-ship. And so worship is giving God his worth. And uh, I would be okay with that if that refers to worship in all of life. 
when you walk out the doors of the church or sign out of this service, right? You go out to serve God. You go out to glorify him. You, you go out uh, to glorify him by giving him his worth, your all. But we do not come to the Lord's service to give him anything but to receive. This is the, the Lord's service, not because we come to serve the Lord, but because he comes to serve us. God serves us in his word and sacrament on Sunday. We serve him in the lives we live Monday through Saturday. We gather to receive and, and rehearse God's grace. We scatter to respond to it in lives of love. So this is the, this is the mind shift of worship, right? A, a shift in part from the Old Testament, bloody sacrifices, to the New Testament, living sacrifices. Worship is the expression of gratitude in the life of service. Second, the motive, an unshakable kingdom, the motive of worship. I don't know about you, but motivation for me can sometimes be an issue. Uh, why get up early when I could sleep in? Why exercise when I could sit on the couch? Uh, why eat healthy when junk food is calling my name? Why work hard when a little effort will do? Why study hard when a passing grade is all you need? Do you ever talk with yourself about these things, right? Do you ever give yourself reasons, you know, the pros and the cons of staying in bed, for example? I don't know how many times I have done that, right? While, while falling in and out of the morning's sleep, I'm rationalizing with myself why I should or shouldn't get out of bed in that moment. You see, human beings work by motivation. Something moves us. We act for reasons. And in fact, all of our behavior is incredibly rational given whatever it is that we tell ourselves. So why give your life to serving God? Why a life of worship? Why express gratitude through a life of service? Well, gratitude is, of course, for something. We are thankful for, right? This is uh, November. It's the, the month of the American holiday of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is not a Christian holy day, but any excuse to slow down and give thanks is a good one. What are you thankful for? You know, Deborah, the boys and I have been trying to write down three things each day during this month, which we are thankful for. And how difficult that exercise is, right, is a good indicator of where our hearts are. Verse 28 tells us what we have to be thankful for. Verse 28 says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, uh, a few things about this kingdom, right? Uh, first, we have received it. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's not our kingdom. We didn't make it. We don't establish it. It is Christ's kingdom. We simply receive it. Second, uh, obviously, uh, it is a kingdom, right? The kingdom is a kingdom, meaning we have been brought into something bigger than ourselves. The writer doesn't simply say, let us be grateful for receiving forgiveness. Hey, he could have said that, right? But he doesn't. Sometimes we think about forgiveness in a kind of me-centered way, but this is not about me, right? This is about God's kingdom. This is about his rule in the world, the, the order he is restoring to what has been disordered, the newness he is bringing to what has been broken. Third, God's kingdom 
cannot be shaken. Uh, this is important because of what the writer said uh, back in verses 26 to 27, right? This world will be shaken. Created things will pass away. The stuff of this life will fade. What will remain? The things that cannot be shaken. When we seek to establish our own kingdoms, right? Kingdoms built on my effort to establish my reputation by showing the world how great I am, those kingdoms are shakable. They won't last. They rarely last this life. They definitely won't last into the life to come. But God's kingdom is unshakable. That means I can stop trying to create my own little kingdom. I can get off the treadmill of trying to prove myself. I can stop trying to gain security through the means this world provides. And I can rest in the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And it's a good thing, right? Because my job, my kids, my academic career, my flimsy reputation, right? They can't handle the weight of meaning and security in this life, much less in this life or, or much less the life to come. We've got to look to the kingdom that is unshakable. And we can, right? When Jesus died on the cross, he died to the present life, the life of shakable things. And when he rose from the dead, he rose to a new life, a life of unshakability. All who believe in him inherit that life. That is our inheritance. And it is that life, the unshakable kingdom, that frees us then to serve God and moves us out of gratitude. Gratitude is an interesting emotion. It's, it's hard to describe, actually, right? To be thankful, for your heart to be full of thanksgiving. Gratitude is a kind of delightful dependence. When I'm happy that you have come through for me, right? Gratitude recognizes I, I don't deserve, right? And, and you don't owe me. I don't have, right? There's often some real need. And you have come through. You did for me what I could not do for myself, and so I'm grateful. And it involves all of those things. I have to realize I don't deserve, I don't have in myself. You have come through, and so I am grateful. Of course, as created beings, that describes all of life. I don't deserve, right? God didn't owe me life. It's a gift. I don't have, right? None of us have life in ourselves, but God has come through, right? If I breathe today, it is because God came through. He did for me what I could not do for myself. And this is true of life itself. It's true of every blessing we experience. It is supremely true of the forgiveness that we have in Jesus and the inheritance of the unshakable kingdom. So worship is an expression of gratitude through service. We can have gratitude because of the gift through Jesus, of an unshakable kingdom. Well, that's the mind shift and the motive of worship. Now, third, the attitude, reverence and awe. Worship is a life lived as an expression of gratitude through service. Well, to whom are we grateful, right? To whom are we thankful? Sometimes people say they are thankful who, who don't even believe in God. And it's a curious sentiment, right? People will say things like, I'm so thankful for that time I got to spend with that person. Or I'm thankful for, not, not just two, but I'm thankful for my study partner. 
or I'm thankful for the life I got to live, or I'm thankful for the experiences that I've had. I'm thankful for pulling through some difficulty. And I often wonder who are they thankful to? It's one thing to be thankful for, but to be thankful for something, we must be thankful to someone. And so beyond what are you thankful for, we should ask ourselves, who are you thankful to? And it's an important question because it it will shape the character of our gratitude. The writer says we should offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Now, acceptable there means acceptable to God. What kind of a a life lived is acceptable to God? Well, the writer will tell us in the, the rest of chapter 13. Reverence means to be circumspect, to to, to tread lightly. It means we don't treat God flippantly, and so we don't live life flippantly. Awe is a sense of fear and amazement at the God who is. And so we live our lives with a a sense of who God is, not, not afraid of condemnation from a judge, but afraid of offending the Holy One whom we love. See, I'm not afraid that Deborah will stop loving me if I mess up. But I do try to be careful not to offend her. Again, not because I'm afraid she'll she'll stop loving me, but because I love her. I'm not afraid of her, but I am afraid to hurt her. I'm careful, or at least I try to be careful, to care for her heart. Now, we don't have to care for God's heart. It's not quite the same. but, But as the one whom we love, we should take care not to hurt the one we love. And so our life is lived in reverence and awe, awe of the glory of God, awe of his majesty and power. We're not tiptoeing around someone with anger issues, right? But but it's the response of love to the Holy One who has loved us without end. So that's the, the mind shift, worship as gratitude through service, the motive this unshakable kingdom, the attitude, reverence, and awe. Fourth, the content, the content of worship, rightly ordered love. Worship is an expression of gratitude through service. What does that service look like? What exactly is the thank offering in the New Testament? Well, what we will see is that that gratitude is an offering of rightly ordered love in the mundane. Our offering to God is love, which makes sense, right? What else could it be? We have nothing to offer to God that he did not first give to us. Hence, whatever offering we bring must be in thanksgiving. God's two great commandments, right, are to love, right? To love God, to love our neighbor. And love is the fulfilling of the law. So this rightly ordered love is the service that we offer to our loving God. And very briefly, in the beginning of chapter 13, we'll see four things about this rightly ordered love. Uh, First, rightly ordered love is for all kinds of people. Chapter 13, verse 1 begins, let brotherly love continue. Uh, That, of course, is love for the brothers or love for the family of God. Chapter 13, verse 2 in English says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Uh, which even in English, the contrast between brothers and strangers is clear, but it's even stronger in the Greek because in in Greek, the phrase show hospitality to strangers is one word, which means love for strangers. And so our love should be for our brothers, those closest to us, the family of God, and for strangers, those we don't even know, the unfamiliar, the different. Rightly ordered love is love for all kinds of people, 
those who are close to us, those who are far away, and everybody in between. Second, rightly ordered love is sacrificial. Hospitality, uh, to which we are encouraged here, hospitality is messy business. It means inviting someone into your space, letting them use your things and not just reusable things, right? But perishable things, things that you once had and maybe you'll have no more. True hospitality is always sacrificial, right? There is a cost to loving people. And that's even more obvious in verse three. Verse three says, uh, remember those who are in prison as, as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body to identify with those so rejected by society that they are in prison means to bear their shame, their reproach. To identify with those who are mistreated means to invite mistreatment yourself. But you also are in the body, which while it would be great if that meant in the body of Christ, it probably just means you too are in the body, right? You know what it's like to endure hardships. So remember those who are enduring hardships. Remember them and so do them some good. To love the stranger, the prisoner, the outcast means bearing the cost and the shame and the mistreatment that they endure. Love always means I take on your hardship, large or small. That is the way Jesus loved in the big things. And that is the way we are to love in big things and little. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. He says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our love should look like Christ's love, sacrificially giving of ourselves for the good of others. And so rightly ordered love is for all kinds of people, those who are closest to us, those who are far away and everybody in between. Rightly ordered love is sacrificial, giving of ourselves for the good of other people. Third, rightly ordered love is pure. Look at verse four. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Even our sex life is a part of our worship. Nothing is outside of God's purview. All things must be submitted to King Jesus in this unshakable kingdom. And so the writer says, honor marriage, and protect the marriage bed. You see, love requires faithfulness. That means we must practice self-control in our love. See, impurity takes what is good, love and marriage and sex, and defiles it, turning what is good into something unclean and unholy. Love is, is rightly discriminating, right? Not, not based on the attributes of this age, but showing love to whom love is due and in the way that it is due them. And so rightly ordered loves for all kinds of people, it's sacrificial and it's pure, right? We're wholly devoted to the people that we are to be devoted to. Fourth, rightly ordered love is for people and not possessions. Another word for love pops up in verse five, uh, love of money. The wealth of this age is part of the shakable things. It won't last. It is passing away. You can't keep it. The writer says, don't love it. Rather, be content. Whether you have a lot or a little, be content with what you have. This echoes uh, the, the more well-known passage in Philippians chapter 4, 
verses 11 through 13, where Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. I, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What is Paul's secret of contentment? Jesus gives him strength, strength to endure through the bad and to stay focused in the good. And it is a Jesus presence that helps us keep going as well, according to verses five and six. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You see, if God is with us, as Paul puts it elsewhere, who can be against us? If God is on your side, what do you have to worry about? And that doesn't mean everything will go your, your way. That doesn't mean you always get all the things that you want. It does mean that God will provide everything you need. It, it means even if you're robbed and beaten and starved to death or are murdered in the street, your father is still there watching over you. And he will bring you to himself in heaven and eventually raise you up in glory. You see, even if you follow the path of Christ and are martyred for the faith, God has not abandoned you, but he will raise you up on the last day. I can know that whatever I have in this moment is from the hand of my father, whatever I have. And this convicts us, right? When we grumble, if I complain, it is because I don't like what my father has given me in this moment. There's no getting around it, right? My father has given me this moment. In its joy and its pain, it is a gift from his hand. It may be confusing. It may, not, it may make no sense, right? But it is from him. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He is your helper, and he will see you through, which means we can be free to love, right? If, if I don't have to love money, if I can trust my father to provide for me and care for me, if I don't have to then focus on my possessions, if, I, if I'm not seeking to gain and grow and secure my worldly investments, I am free to use whatever I have, whether little or much, to serve God by loving my neighbor. Now, that may involve gaining and growing, right? But the end game is different. It's not amassing a fortune for my security and comfort, but stewarding worldly goods for my neighbor's good and my father's glory. See, rightly ordered love is for all kinds of people. It's sacrificial and pure, and it is for people and not possessions. And so we've gone through the, the mind shift, worship as gratitude through service, the, the motive, gratitude for God's unshakable kingdom, the attitude, reverence and awe, the content, rightly ordered love, which ultimately means love as God defines it. And of course, if you want to know more about that, uh, just join us for our afternoon services over the coming weeks, because we're beginning to work through the Ten Commandments, which are an exposition, God's exposition of what love looks like. But that brings us to uh, number five, the models of worship, faith-filled leaders. How do you learn what love is? How, how do you learn true worship? How do you learn to express gratitude through service? Can you think of people in your life who have modeled this well? Maybe your grandmother or a teacher. Maybe someone you look, look up to at church. Uh, maybe someone who is your, your own age physically but seems years ahead spiritually. 
Now I start to get a little nervous at this point. Uh, you know, later in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 is the verse that I've often said is the scariest verse in the Bible for me. Uh, but this one is not much better. Verse seven, it says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, the writer seems to be referring to people who are no longer around. He doesn't say those who speak to you the word of God, but those who spoke, whether because they have gone on to other cities and towns or more likely because they've gone on to be with the Lord. These leaders, whatever the case, are no longer around. But they were once there, and they were teaching, and they were living. And the writer says, look at how their lives turned out. Again, why it seems that they are now deceased, right? You can't know how someone's life will turn out until they're dead. And so he says, consider. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. How do you learn how to live lives of worship? How do we know what gratitude expressed in service looks like? We look to our leaders, now, I've got to say, uh, David, Scott, Brian, and Todd, uh, this definitely puts the pressure on, doesn't it? But you can see the point. You can't abstract one's leadership from their way of life. Verse 7 says, imitate their faith, not just believe what they believe, but, but model your life after theirs. We learn by imitation. Paul says the same thing in Philippians 4, verse 9. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, Paul certainly didn't see himself as perfect, and, and, and leaders will never be perfect. We are flawed. We are broken. We are sinners. And yet God is working in us. And so Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And of course, that's what it comes down to, right? We are to be imitators of Christ. He is the one who worshiped the Father with his whole heart. He is the one who lived a life of gratitude expressed through service. He is the one who loved all kinds of people, not just his friends, but his enemies, sacrificially with an untainted devotion, setting his mind not on the things of this age, but on the joy that was set before him, a joy that includes our good and the Father's glory. Look to him. Trust in him. Follow him in living a life of gratitude expressed through the, sac through the service of sacrificial love. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would uh, work in our hearts, that we would see Jesus in all of his glory, that we would see the beauty of his love, and that we would step out in love taking up our cross, following Jesus to serve others the way he served us. Help us to do that in all of life, Father. We pray in Jesus' name.